Well, hello everybody, uh, Thad here, and welcome back to Theotivity. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with my brother-in-law, Josh. Hey, Josh. Hey. <laughs> and we're going to be talking a little bit about Christian communities and building strong communities and just the importance of that. Uh, particularly, I think that's been a pertinent uh, topic to discuss, especially as the world continues to get crazier and crazier. I think a lot more Christians are starting to think in those mm -hmm. ways. They're like realizing, oh, we're in real danger of potentially losing jobs and livelihoods, being extra, um, ex not exercised, <laughs> ostracized <laughs> from society. Excommunicated. Yeah, basically, that's what is going on, right? Like, it, it, because um, I covered this in a, a talk I gave recently that um, what's going on in society is actually a shift of religions, mm. that it's a whole other religion with its own form of discipline, too, right? Mm. Yes. Um, church discipline, so to speak, where, you know, you're, you're ostracized, you're, you're a pariah of the society, of the cult, right? Um, and that's their form of discipline, cancel culture, yeah. right? Uh, but anyways, uh, back to the point. Like, <laughs> I think the more and more the Christians are starting to realize that this is what's going on in our culture and this cultural moment, we're realizing, oh, you know what? This Christian community thing, we should probably rethink this. And, and, and we think that this has a, a very big, important part to play. I mean, it should have been playing a huger part uh, in this whole discussion of church life anyways, because that's one of the things that we're called to as Christians to mm -hmm. live in community, mm -hmm. right? Um, but I think now more than ever, we're feeling it more acutely, right? That it's like, oh, yeah, if, if all of my other social relationships fall through, who's got my back, right? Yeah. If I was to lose my job, who's got my back? I'm, like, if, if I'm like, we were talking about this recently, like if, if we're calling Christians to be faithful in the public square and to speak truth, even if it costs you, that might mean that like a public school teacher, let's say, um, might lose their job because mm -hmm. they stand against what's going up, going on, let's say, for the LGBTQ movement and so on. Um, and if that happens, then if pastors are calling them to, to stand for truth no matter what, who are they falling back on? Do we have church communities that have our back? That could, you know, I, I just even think of how encouraging it would be for a church goer to hear from their pastor that like, hey, if you lose your job because you stood up to the woke mob or whatever, like mm -hmm. we've got your back. Like we'll make sure you have food on the table. We'll we'll rally together. We'll try to help you find another job. Those sorts of things. But just really help, you know, put steel in people's spine. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And not only just the maybe financial concerns, but mm -hmm. also just the feeling like, you know, your community is going to be there for you and, you know, a pat on the back being like, hey, yeah. good, good job standing up for Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And not be like ostracized from the same community you thought yeah. was going to have you. Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, I think like even, you know, some of that has been experienced over the past two years over the various controversies, mm -hmm. right? Um, let the reader understand. <laughs> <laughs> Where, you know, some Christians felt like they were, that they were backs were up against the wall and they were expecting their community to have their backs, but didn't feel like that was happening. Yes. Um, and, you know, that's varied across the board in terms mm -hmm. of experiences. Mm -hmm. But anyways, let's get kind of the, our first point and just jump straight into the meat of this, right? Because um, that's what you guys are here for, meat, right? <laughs> <laughs> not milk. Yeah, not milk. Yeah. Um, so building strong communities, right? That um, we were talking about how like this concept broader just than just Sunday mornings, mm -hmm. right? Um, you want to speak a little bit to that? Like, what do we mean by that? That you know, if we're gonna build strong communities as Christians, it has to be broader than just a Sunday morning gathering. Yeah, well, I think that, and we've we've talked about this. I think that. Uh, the the Christian experience in the kingdom of God is more than just inside the church. We're called to be mm -hmm. Christians in all areas of life, and yeah. Jesus made that clear that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, yeah. which is a lot of authority. But wait, <laughs> his kingdom's not of this world, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other... Uh, I'll leave that one to you in a minute. Yeah. But, I'm pretty um, sure by, by the time this is out, I would have probably dropped an episode on that or two. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, yeah. so we're called to live for Christ mm -hmm. in all areas of life. Yeah. And so uh, part of that is having strong communities that, you know, that looks like the church is important. That looks like families are very important. Mm -hmm. That looks like Christian businesses are very important. Uh, you know, education, there's a whole mm -hmm. bunch of different areas that really are part of effectively reaching the world for Christ, I think. And we can't mm -hmm. just push it off into assuming that that's only church and that's only Sundays or Wednesday mm -hmm. nights or whatever that is. Yeah. Much broader than that. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, just practically, what does that look like? I mean, I think of church community, you should, this, like, okay, growing up in Trinidad, like, um, is a perfect example for me in terms of my church experience, uh, where majority of my friends throughout the week, like Monday through Saturday, were the same people <laughs> from Sunday, right? Yeah. Uh, or, you know, a, a lot of my friends also made a church camp. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're a camper too, yeah. <laughs> you understand uh, that, right? And yeah, it, it's so significantly defined all of my life, right? That community um, in church. And I think like that's the way it should look, right? Like you even think, I, I think in terms of like church discipline, one of the reasons why it should be such an effective tool for pastors to use on someone who's going wayward is that their church community should have defined all of their life such that if they were to lose that, yes. it feels like a big loss. Yes. Like if you were just like, you know, waltzing in and out of church, nobody knows you, whatever, and then you're in sin and like the pastors decide to exercise church discipline, it's like, ah, no sweat off your back because you never were invested anyways, yes. right? Yes. Um, so there's this multiple levels where uh, church involvement and community come into play. I think to just practically speaking, having people over and eating, mm -hmm. like that's a huge part of building community. Like mm -hmm. we should eat together more. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, and starting within the family. Yeah. Uh, the, the statistics on that really drive me a little bit crazy. Yeah. yeah. That so many families don't eat any meals together. Mm -hmm. And so, so in my family, I was blessed that we ate meals you know, mm -hmm. at least once a day for dinner, we were all mm -hmm. getting together, except in very exceptional circumstances. Right. Every day we would yeah. eat a meal together. Yeah. And we discount just how life transformational that can be, right? Because mm -hmm. if you think about a lot of busy families, especially modern busy families, um, hardly have any moments to really catch up on each other, figure out what's going on in each other's life. But yeah. if you have like this set time of dinner, let's say, they sit sitting around the table, those sorts of casual conversations can happen um, where you can get caught up and kind of know what's going on. Yes. And the people within your own household. Yes. Right? And then as yeah. that feels comfortable, then yeah. it also feels very comfortable to invite another family from the church yeah. for a Sunday lunch yeah. or something yeah. where you're already used to this as a family. Mm -hmm. And it's just a kind of a networking yeah. of hospitality. Yeah. Rhythms of feasting and fellowship, right? Yeah, it is. Love it. Yeah. 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 Definitely. And it, it feels more natural when somebody, because I think people can feel when it's forced. Like when you invite a guest over and it feels forced, like they know these people actually never really sit down together, right? <laughs> but if it's just part of your everyday, you know, reality, when you invite someone in, it's more natural because they're just being invited into that reality. Yes. Um, I think it can be such like a powerful witness too, because mm -hmm. like our culture doesn't eat together, for yes. example, right? Yes. Uh, you have somebody who's new visitor in church. Like, I mean, that's powerful to be invited into someone's home, not just a restaurant, but into their home and be like, hey, we want to share a meal with you. Yes. Yeah. Yes, very welcoming and, and definitely, well, and we were talking about this, Jesus said that he'll know us by our love. And yeah. so that's got to be very appealing to the yeah. world yeah. if we are in that kind of dynamic community with each other. Absolutely. And if you even think about the way that he's given to us as a sacramental ordinance to proclaim his death till he comes is what? A meal. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And yes. the communion was actually partaken in the context of a full meal, not just like the, the wafer and the, right. the grape juice. Right? Yes. Because yes. it's definitely grape juice. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Um, but yeah, I even think of like Luke's narrative. I, I don't know if you've, you've noticed this in Luke's narrative. Jesus is either leaving from a feast or going to a feast. Mm -hmm. Like eating is so essential in Luke's narrative. Right. It's kind of interesting. 
um, just the, the centrality that it played and how people were wanting Jesus to be a guest in their home and to eat together with him. Yes. I think that says something too, for to be Christ followers. Right? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And all this talk about food. I'm food. sure the listeners are getting hungry. <laughs> Next time we'll send snacks out before. I'm going to just edit in some like pictures of like picanha oh, and like, man. you know, spaghetti. They're and, making yeah. me hungry now. <laughs> cool. Well, we were talking about, you know, in terms of building Christian communities. Okay, awesome. So eating together for sure. Uh, one of the ways that you can do that just real practically but we were also talking about like strategy and incrementalism and like starting local. Um, you want to kick us off on that? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I think that it is important that we have a big picture. Mm. We have this tendency to be very reactive. Yeah. And so we'll see something happening in culture and we're like, oh, that's not greater or or something like we don't like that or this would be better. And so mm. we try we're very reactive, but we don't very often sit down and think of what do we want? the world by God's grace to look like in 10 years or 20 years or 50 years or 200 years. Yeah. And so uh, I don't think you can build anything very effective by always reacting to what's going wrong. Yeah. You have to have a solid vision of what, what the future is going to look like. Yeah. And so we got to... And that's why it feels like the church is always playing catch up too. Because yes. you're always just reacting. Yes. Yeah. You're exactly. never proactive. And that's yeah. it's also very defeating. Because yep. you never feel like there's not a positive vision. It's right. always a negative vision. Yeah, yeah. And this is what we're against. <laughs> yes, yeah. which is not really what Christ was known for either. Mm-hmm. Like Christ was very direct and, and maybe of anyone in Scripture, Christ said some of the most direct and hard to accept things. Yeah. But people didn't think of him as a hard to accept person. In fact, they really mm-hmm. wanted to be with him because... Well, I, some people did. The Pharisees did. The Pharisees did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The kind of people that we would like to reach. The, right. you, know, you know, the people that Jesus said he came for. Yeah, yeah. The, the ones who need the doctor. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, wanted to be with him. Yeah. And I, I think part of that might be because Jesus had mm-hmm. an outlook on life that was exciting. Right. Fun to be around. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's definitely true. I think, like, um, there's been a malaise, let's say, of pessimism mm-hmm. uh, around churches and evangelicalism in general, which, I mean... I think it's very much tied to dispensational sort of forms of thought. Uh, but regardless of like the eschatological issues and so on, um, I think it's, it's not very inspiring to people. Like you think about the sports analogy, right? Where mm-hmm. if you've got a coach that goes into a sports team, and he's <laughs> like, all right, guys, we're going to fight our hardest. We're going to play our best. We're going to lose anyway, but you're going to give it your all. <laughs> like that's not very motivational, right? right. Um, it, it's not going to inspire like really the, the type of performance that you want to get out of people right and yes. not that it's all pragmatics but it just it, it does play a, a, I think an important aspect you know if you have a more optimistic sort of tone mm-hmm. as opposed to a pessimistic tone where you're just like oh well you know this is fated to be like sometimes yeah. we talk like pagans really mm-hmm. in terms of blind fate mm-hmm. like there's nothing I can do to, to change this fate right but that's actually a pagan notion not not Christian notion um, you know, God does use means and causes, and ultimately, obviously, He's sovereign over the course of history. Yeah. But I don't think like He ever calls us to pessimism. No. Yeah. No, and like <laughs> Jesus is the least pessimistic person I can think of, mm-hmm. and He He went to the cross. Yeah. Right. But He was He saw the vision beyond that. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. I, yeah, I think it's much more exciting. And I also think that in our proclamation of the gospel <laughs> in terms of salvation. Uh, I think that that is also very appealing to people where you're, you're giving a whole vision, you're giving a whole worldview that really encapsulates all of life in an optimistic way. Mm. Uh, that's something that's a lot more exciting to, to welcome people into and to offer them to join. 
Okay, yeah. So, you know, optimism is a huge asset. I can see that. And I think the overall tenor and tone of scripture should lead us towards that. Um, not this sort of dour fatalism, let's mm-hmm. say, right? Um, but I think also there's this wisdom towards um, thinking strategically and incrementally also, right? Um, <laughs> I remember there's a pretty well-known um, pastor and theologian who, you know, kind of made a ridicule of postmillennial sort of thought, uh, saying, oh, you thought you're just going to waltz into the kingdom and whatnot, right? Uh, but the thing is, like, I don't think any true postmillennial thinks that, like, you know, um, for me, I'm a postman, and I, I think that, no, it's going to be through many trials that you get to the kingdom. That's what right. Jesus guaranteed, right? Yeah. It's not going to be easy um, going. And I think all eschatologies will affirm that, right? That there's not this idea in the Bible of like just an easy life. It's mm-hmm. actually guaranteed just the opposite, right? Yes. But also with that, I think, comes the, the, the wisdom of like, well, we need to strategize, right? Like, especially if you're, you're expecting hard times. Yes. Um, no one should be like, oh, man, times are going to get hard. Okay, well, I guess I'm gonna play some more Game Boy or whatever, like, <laughs> yes. and not like strategize of how you're gonna weather the storm. Yeah, scroll some more Instagram. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, like, let's talk a little bit about that, like, strategy, incrementalism. Like, how does that sort of mindset help in this greater project of building um, strong communities and, you know, hopefully changing culture through that? Yeah. Well, I think that we need to. The, the first thing, obviously, is just putting a little thought into it and starting mm. to have the conversation. Yeah. And so just just a shift of mindset in towards thinking a little bit more long term and mm. including, you know, generations don't it doesn't take very long before you have another generation. You're looking yeah. at, you know, 20 years maybe before you yeah. have uh, infants who have now grown up to be adults who are mm-hmm. capable of making a huge difference in the world. Yeah. And so that's that's one way like I think I think kids we shouldn't treat as a distraction, but as a Mm-hmm. essential part of yeah. so it's just i think just a little bit of a mindset shift and yeah. just having the conversation yeah it's a and pretty good part it's also rethinking um your projection timelines too mm-hmm. right i think right now we're very in the immediacy sort of thing like what works for now what's trending right? yes. that's the whole thing yes uh and i think the church can get caught up into that uh in a bad way right like i think it's, it's good to be um aware of what's trending let's say yeah because you do need to speak to the cultural moment but in terms of uh, planning and how ministry should be laid out and so on, um, this is not just for churches, but for Christians as well. Like we need to like elongate basically our projections and, you know, start thinking generationally, like, mm. like you were saying, you know, not just how is this going to benefit me and set me up well, but how am I planning for potentially setting something in place that my great grandchildren yes. will benefit from that I wouldn't even live to see the fruits of the seed that I just planted, mm-hmm. right? Like that's real generational kind of thinking. And I think like we underestimate just how significantly you can transform society within the case of like one or two generations. We've seen that in our lifetime. Yes. Right. Like I'm old enough to remember a time where like the whole LGBTQ stuff was not even all of the letters yet. Mm. (laughs) Right. There was the L and the G. Mm. Uh, And within the space of my lifetime, the whole world has changed on this thing. Um, And that's not even two proper generations, really. Yes. So you can see how very quickly if you're strategic about it and the lgbtq uh, agenda was very strategic that you can practically impact quite a lot of um, people and yes. make a lot of cultural change yes and i think one of one of the parts of that mm-hmm. that that we can learn from is that you have to pick the the places where you're going to be most effective yes and so yeah. that a lot of that is kids yeah that is various forms of education that's various forms of media mm-hmm. and 
uh, the places where people spend a lot of the th their time yeah. and the places where people, uh, especially I think places where people spend a lot of mindless time, mm. because that's where you end up entertainment. That's yeah. where your your subconscious values get formed. Yeah, I can't remember who said it. Some famous American history personality, or whatever, <laughs> uh, but basically said like, um, I don't care who writes the nation's laws. Let me write its songs. Mm. I think that's super insightful. Yes. Because, yeah, who goes and studies a nation's laws? Nobody really, right? Yeah. But the songs, the, the creative aspects, the art in the culture, the entertainment, mm -hmm. those have a subconscious effect on people that's huge that we often discount, we don't see. Like, why is it such a big deal, for example, that Disney's putting out so many movies promoting a certain agenda? Well, because that's how you change culture. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't change culture by, like, necessarily writing a whole bunch of books or laws or, you know, even with politicians. I think actually entertainment may have more sway on culture than even the most powerful politician. Yes. And I think I think one of the aspects of thinking strategically mm -hmm. here is we need to stop telling people who are interested in media and mm -hmm. arts and those sorts of things to go get a real job. Yeah. Uh, understandably, it's important to earn yeah. a living, but there are lots of ways that you can learn a living in creative work yeah. and either on the side or as your actual full-time creative work be mm -hmm. creating things that are uh that are moving the kingdom forward yeah and so and not just in terms that. of like creating tracks right yes because that's the next thing too is like you have this whole industry of cheesy christian movies mm. <laughs> that are terrible because mm. the only people who watch cheesy christian movies are like the kind of elderly grand <laughs> grandmas <laughs> who like that kind of stuff who are already Christian and those mm. aren't the people you're trying to reach, right? Mm. Um, so, and, and then the outside culture looks at that as like a kind of subculture that they turn their nose up to, right? Yes. Because it's, it's actually not, um, it's not telling the truth, really. They're cheesy because the, it, the whole storyline is not, con is not um, honest to what reality actually is, you know, like um, the atheists in the in the movie all of a sudden you know bows any to Christ and like you know everybody's singing at the end and grandma who died resurrects and just yes. it's just so cheesy because it's yes. like such a neat wrap-up of a story and like a happy ending and like it's moralistic too usually right yeah uh, it's not telling complex stories not ha doesn't have complex characters yes. it doesn't address the shades of nuance within reality and I think people look at that and they know that's fake right mm. yeah. well and I think that that's also, it's exactly the symptom of the same thing mm -hmm. where it's short term and it's immediate. Yeah. Where we want all of the payoffs for everything in one movie. Yes. Where if yeah. we if we thought that we're doing a 20 year project of creating media that points people to Christ, mm. you have some time yeah. to explore not all of the issues yep. in a single film. Yeah. For you can do it over multiple yes. different films over decades even. Yes. Yeah. But as it is, I think there's this this mindset of sort of scarcity that we're only right. ever going to get to make one thing yeah so we have to make sure do that everything <laughs> we have to get sin we have to get redemption we have to get the cross we have to like yeah. sing some hymns and we have to do everything else in yeah one thing. yeah you, you have know? to get the cons consummation in there too because right. <laughs> <laughs> grandma yes. gets raptured after she's resurrected <laughs> we're just trying to do everything at once yeah, yeah. and and everything at once is not very effective at anything yeah yeah, yeah. all trades and a master of none absolutely yeah okay so incrementalism then how does that play in? Like, so, you know, uh, to, the, to that point, I think it's, it's definitely connected, right? That we want to try to do everything all at once. And we just have to realize our finitude. And the fact that also, even if you were able to do everything all at once well, it might not be the most effective way to do things. Because people don't change usually all at once. They change incrementally. Mm -hmm. And also culture, I would say, changes incrementally too. Mm -hmm. You want to talk a little bit to that? Yeah, so I think 
I think a big part of that is is changing our mindset about and again getting everything done all at the same time and then also how much we're trying to get done in any single step mm. and part of that is maybe in a sense dialing back our expectations a little bit mm. and also dialing back our egos a little bit mm. and so I was really impacted. Ronald Reagan said one time that there's no limit to what a man can achieve if he doesn't care who gets the credit. Hmm. And I think that there's a little bit of that. We want to yeah. we want to do the thing that makes a big difference, and right. we want it all in one go. Yeah. And I think if you're willing to to just you know gently encourage for change and mm. gently encourage for things to be better and more Christ-like, mm. you go a lot further than if you you know stand yeah. on your pedestal and start shouting about stuff. Right. And so there's a little bit of that. You just got to, you know, there's a little of letting go of the ego and saying, yeah. hey, I'm here for Christ. And yeah. if someone else gets all the credit in 10 years for legwork that I've done now, mm. then I guess to God be the glory. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. Um, you know, <clears throat> Jesus had a appropriate critique, I think, of, of Christians, right? He said that the sons of this world are often more crafty in their dealings than the sons of light, right? And... Uh, I think that's true today as well, and that um, we can actually learn something from the sons of this world yeah, yeah. Uh, in in this whole point of increment, incrementalism. And not to harp on the LGBTQ thing again, but they were incremental as well. Like they didn't try to do everything all at once because they knew back, let's say, sixty years ago, if they tried to, society would just outright re- reject it. Mm-hmm. So they did it incrementally. The first step was okay. We need to start to identify our sexual preferences with identity because then. Now you've changed the conversation from the things that you do to the thing that you are. And then now you're attacking the person rather than the issue. Mm-hmm. So that framed the conversation differently. Mm-hmm. And just incrementally, they started to inject things like such as, you know, taking over institutions of learning and entertainment, like you were mm-hmm. talking before, right? Like, why is it that every, um, you know, non-binary or non-straight uh, character in movies and TV is never, ever portrayed in a bad light? They're always the life of the party, the humorous, the funny one. You know, it's because, again, they're incrementally trying to change the perception of society to, to be favorable towards their cause. And over time, that had effect. Like, initially, when they were starting to make those pushes, society kind of, you know, was a little resistant to it. Now, there's almost no resistance at all. Mm. And again, that's, that's the fruit of incrementalism. And that was done, I will say this, that was done by people without the spirit's empowerment. Um, how much more so if like Christians who have the Spirit's empowerment and blessing and wisdom and yes. scriptures to guide them as well took that sort of approach of incrementalism uh, and also strategic planning and saying, okay, this is where we want to be. We can't get there tomorrow, but we could get there in 50 years, let's say. Yes. And what are the steps we need to make to get there along the way? How much better could we make the world and how much closer mm-hmm. to Christ? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and that's, it, it's exciting to think about yeah. the possibilities there. Yeah. And and one part of the incremental thing too is is you touched on it briefly about language, mm. and so how you frame the conversation, mm-hmm. and and maybe it's because as believers we tend to be, you know, friendly. We don't want to. We we tend to not like yeah. to to make issues and that sort of thing. Yeah. And so when someone reframes the conversation, we tend to just step into the new conversation that mm. they framed. Yeah. And the way that you set up a conversation really sets you up for whether it's even possible to have a Christian outlook in that conversation. Mm. So if we just sort of accept, uh, you know, if someone brings up an objection about the gospel or an objection about Christ, mm-hmm. if we just sort of take their question at face value in the words that they stated it, sometimes that completely precludes you from actually giving a Christian answer. Because yeah. the question, it's impossible to answer certain questions yeah. without evaluating the question itself first. Yeah, yeah. 
absolutely. That's a good point. Um, let's let's move it forward. Um, so we were also talking about, you know, in terms of building strong communities, there are like kind of three areas we wanted to touch on in terms mm -hmm. of like how do you build strong communities? You know, one was the family, mm -hmm. the next one was the church, and then we talked a little bit about businesses. Let's let's start talking a little bit about that. We we touched a little bit on family already, but maybe you want to say a little bit more uh, towards that. Like how do building strong families then affect this project of building strong communities, which then affect, you know, strong cultures. Because culture is really just a conglomeration of different, yeah. you know, communities, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So families are are very important because mm. they're bedrock of every other aspect of community. Yeah. But they're also, you know, that's where children are raised and children mm. are sort of by definition the next step of incrementalism. Yeah. So that's very important. You have a huge impact probably perhaps more impact in raising children than you do in anything else that is going to be done in life because mm -hmm. you're it's an incremental expansion of your own ability right. to do things yeah uh and that's also what the bible says right like yes some was it 127 that you're on arrows in the hands of a warrior blessed he who fills his quiver right all of them yes. oh yeah yeah like i mean and a lot of christians don't think this way of children as ammo mm. right as like like arrows are are, are offensive weapons right mm. that you sharpen them up and shoot them out shoot it and the they go further than you could ever reach mm. right um so we should start thinking of children that way and there's no sense in handing your tr your arrows over to your enemy yes <laughs> right? so yes. you gotta make sure that they're sharp in your own quiver yes and then you know that once they're mature you can send them out they can reach further than you can yes yeah. yes also i think there's a sense where um, your home life has a big influence on how much you're capable of doing mm -hmm. in other areas. And yeah. you, you'll see this sometimes, people who are, whose home life is not encouraging, mm. they're, they're just, they're down about mm -hmm. it. They don't have the drive to make other things happen because, yeah. you know, you're coming home and you're getting put down or yeah. it's, it's a place that's not peaceful or that sort of thing. Yeah. And yeah. so I think to build strong families yeah. is actually very encouraging to then feel like, okay, you have a foundation that now mm -hmm. you can go. Yeah, uh, you know, make a difference in other places. As Absolutely, well. I, I believe like the family is like a microcosm of society and also of churches. I mean, you look at like qualifications for pastors and elders uh, and deacons, like all the all the officers of the church. <laughs> it's all family life, right? It's all family driven, and the church itself is called the family of God, the household of God, right? Mm -hmm. So the 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 family in terms of like actual families, um, like biological families, uh, they are a microcosm of then what happens in the church and then also what happens, I think, in larger society as well. Uh, and you see this reflected within trends within society. Like you look at um, the trend towards like as divorce rates increase, basically, where does society go, right? As you have this epidemic more of more fatherless boys, particularly, you have increases in crime that's correlated. Very, mm. very, very hard correlation. Yeah. Um, so what happens in a family will inevitably transform churches and also transform society. Yes. And I think it's also why like family ministry and how we think biblically about that is of real big importance within churches. I don't think there's been enough um, on biblical thought, but also intentional thought on that about what is actually the biblical model for family ministry and mm -hmm. for families themselves. And then also expending a lot of energy and resources into building strong families and helping families that are struggling. Right. Um, you look at a church's budget and I can tell you a lot of like where the priorities lie. Right. Um, I think just recognizing the, the fundamental importance of family, it should be a pretty significant part of the budget because that'll tell you where the priorities lie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there's been a sense perhaps for quite some time that that dads and fathers are that they go out to work or whatever they are. In, but but that they're not as responsible for 
the development of the family, which yeah. is kind of exactly the opposite of yeah. God's word, which says that, you know, fathers are very responsible yeah. for their children and their families. Yeah. And so to, uh, to kind of cast that vision mm-hmm. is actually, it's motivating and exciting because I think people step up to the bar that you set. So yes. if you set a low bar, people are going to probably Limbo. miss, they're probably going <laughs> to miss the low it. bar. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Try and figure out a way of kind of slipping yeah, underneath. Yeah. Uh, if you set a high bar, and even if it's a bar that's a little bit higher than, the, I mean, that's what Christ does. He mm. says, you must be perfect as your father is perfect. And yeah. that's a very high bar. Yeah. And so you set a higher bar. And then I think we're often shocked at what people mm-hmm. rise to yeah. when we expect it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been called the soft bigotry of low expectations before. <laughs> You know, that uh, in a way you, I get like, you know, it, it's a complicated thing as you're thinking as a pastor, how you preach and feed all of the sheep. But if you're only aiming for the lowest common denominator of like, that's all the level that, that your church will ever rise to, right? Um, in a sense, it's good to preach a little bit above their heads mm. because it gives them something like you're saying to reach to, mm-hmm. right? That And it's okay for people to feel when they sit down in church, like, oh, I didn't quite get everything that was going on here. Like, I. I might have some work to do here. Yeah. Like, especially men, I think, um, rise to challenges. Men mm-hmm. like to be challenged. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, I think a lot of church culture has become a little bit effeminate, uh, to be honest. Um, and so that uh, will tend to pander towards that more feminine side. And that's also, I think, a downstream from the breakdown of, of families, right? Because you don't have men leading in their homes. And usually it'll be single moms or moms who are still married, but bringing the kids to church, but dad's not coming to church. Then you have a, a church full of like women, basically, that are the predominant givers and active people within a church. And that just shapes the culture of churches. That, I think, has been an ongoing um, problem with evangelicalism and just churches in general. Um, and it can affect, I think, how elders and pastors think about leading churches and the tone and tenor that it takes, right? Uh, because if you don't have men present and you're speaking predominantly to, to women, there's a certain tone that comes out um, just naturally. I, I don't think it's a always uh meant to be a bad thing like i think it's just something that happens unwittingly mm-hmm. um, but it's something that we need to be aware of right and the the way to remedy that is not to continue um in those patterns it's actually to to change the tone and tone of the ministry so that a man who comes in is like oh i actually resonate with this oh i'm actually challenged by what this guy is saying oh mm-hmm. this guy looks like a strong leader i can follow him mm-hmm. right because men won't follow like a weak limp-wristed guy into battle but they'll follow like a strong guy, right? Who mm-hmm. seems to know what he's about, bold and what he's saying, clear what he's saying. Um, I think we need more of that. Yeah. And I think a lot <laughs> of this is we've allowed ourselves to be discipled by our culture. And mm. so we need to remember that yeah. God intentionally created men and women different, both very good, but different. Yeah. And so we can't assume that the same approach works equally. Yeah. And so an approach that's going to work very well for women, it might be a different than approach that works well for men. And mm. You need to figure out a way of how that works in a church context yeah. to speak to both in appropriate, yeah. in appropriate settings. Yeah. And I think also to find ways, especially for boys, mm. to uh, communicate to them that they're men a lot sooner than our culture would yes. tell them they're men. Yeah. Get rid of this whole adolescent phase. Yes. <laughs> it's a fiction. Yes. Like, it's not biblical. Uh, it's actually the product of like, just secular psychology, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but biblically speaking, a boy became a man, like basically at 13. Like, you look at like, Jewish, Jew, like, traditional Jews now, even still, yes. will celebrate a bar mitzvah. And that's a boy's coming of age. He's yes. becoming a man, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there was no transition from boy to adolescent, then to man. It was boy, man. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. Uh, and I think we kind of need to recover that because yes. it changes the way that you talk to now your boys who are becoming men, right? Yes. 
that you should address them as like, this is what you're aspiring to be as mm -hmm. a man, mm -hmm. not an adolescent, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now on, on the point of incrementalism, yeah. the problem I think we have right now is yeah. that a lot of guys don't really think that they're even starting to become adults until they graduate college or mm -hmm. university. Yeah. And so maybe to be incremental, we don't try and push all the way back to 13. <laughs> right. Maybe we say, hey, you're an adult when you enter college, yeah. you know, and, and high expectations and all that. But mm -hmm. I think that it possibly if you start to try and push this too far, then people mm -hmm. are going to say, whoa, this is like, that's crazy. Someone couldn't possibly be an adult at 15. Right. And, and so there's a little bit of like, okay, we're in, a, we're in a bad place right now where like 24 is considered maybe sort of possibly the start of adult, but maybe yeah. it's 30. Yeah. Right. So, but like maybe we can get back to 18. Right. And, uh, and have a perception that at 18, we're expecting you to be a full member of the church. Like okay. you should probably come to members meetings and know what's going on. Yep. And, yeah. And, you know, have input, raise your hand and ask some questions. Right. Yeah. Not just stay in the background. I think that's a reasonable expectation. Also, I'm okay with challenging people a little bit beyond. Um, it's particularly if you can show them from the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's no reason towards say, like denying something that scripture would, you know, pretty clearly state, right? Yeah. Um, and I think like it, you can make a pretty strong case that, yeah, there's no such thing as adolescence. Mm -hmm. uh, and just getting people to think, oh, yeah, scripture should challenge the way that we think about <laughs> like how the culture tells us, mm -hmm. you know, reality is, right? Um, anyways, uh, let's kind of move on to, to another point to belabor on this. Uh, but in terms of, you know, strong churches, obviously super important to building strong communities. Right? Um, the church is a pillar and but buttress of the truth. The church is God's um, instrument by which he trains up and then grows his kingdom uh, through disciples, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then also like the church is a light within the community, right? So yes. um, definitely should be engaged in multifaceted ways within the community. Mm -hmm. And that helps to build strong communities. I think also something that's neglected, particularly I'll be here in North America. I feel like in the Caribbean growing up, we did this a little bit, I'm say better, but yeah, we did this better. Yeah. <laughs> Is that churches tended to network more and do things together more. Here, I find there's a lot of like this individual church here, individual church here, and they're all each kind of independently doing their own thing, but hardly ever get together to do things mm -hmm. together, um, even when there's really strong alignment theologically, mm -hmm. uh, which I find odd and perhaps something that should change um, because yeah, we're better together. Yeah. Um, but moving, shifting a little bit um, out of just the ecclesiastical sphere, we talked a little bit about businesses and how that's important also towards building strong communities. Um, why? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I think there's a few things going on there. One yeah. of them is that we believe in a sphere sovereignty. And mm. so we don't think, we believe that the kingdom is is all of Christ for all of life, as mm -hmm. you know, as some have said, yeah. which I think is a, is a good summary of biblical principles. Yeah. But uh, the church should not be, you know, operating the business world. That's mm. not a good idea. The church shouldn't be operating the political world. Yeah. Uh, and so we have different spheres, but that doesn't mean that Christian life and Christ has no place in business. And so mm. if the church shouldn't be running businesses, but Christ is part of it, then I, who should? Right. It's the members of the churches yeah. who should be going out and building the kingdom of God through being very thoughtful and Christian about mm. how they build businesses that um serve people and and maybe that's an aside but i really mm. feel that business is actually an opportunity to serve people yeah and there's there's this sense often that business is all about money but yeah. by definition if someone buys your product or service uh your product or service is worth more to them than the money they gave you for it mm -hmm. otherwise they would never have bought it right and so it makes everyone's life better by definition yeah and so i think we need to recover a sense of 
of business as service mm-hmm. instead of business as greed. Yeah, yeah. And that's a biblical concept too. I mean, Paul talks about this in, in his first century context in terms of like, you know, uh, master-slave relationships and how you should um, serve your master, not as just eye-pleasers, but you're serving the Lord Christ, right? Mm-hmm. That ultimately, the one that you're serving is Jesus Christ, right? And that falls into his kingdom as well, right? Uh, I think as business owners and even employees within businesses, like that's the way to think too, right? That um, ultimately, the one who I'm serving is Christ and his kingdom. Uh, and that's why I'll provide excellent service um, or produce, produce excellent products at a fair price mm-hmm. is because ultimately, that's the master that I'm accountable to. And also for love of neighbor and so on. Like we, we tend to sometimes talk about, oh, we need to love our neighbor, love our neighbor in all of these different ways, maybe in terms of outreach or in terms of like charitable causes. And that's definitely within the appeal of it. Uh, but we hardly ever talk about loving our neighbor in terms of, well, running a good business, mm-hmm. providing a good service or producing good products. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. I saw something recently uh, about someone who, who mm-hmm. would overpay for mm-hmm. products that were sold by people in need. Yeah. And and when asked by his kids, like, why are you paying more than they asked for? Mm-hmm. He said, well, it's, it's a charity wrapped in a dignity. And mm-hmm. so just handing out money to people right. is it could be like, oh, that's how we love our neighbor. We do things for free. Yeah. But sometimes also you can you can do things in a way that are economically viable, but also mm-hmm. um, also really help the situation. Right. Which also gives people the dignity of. Yeah. Of work. Of work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that's lost in our culture, especially up here in Canada, where you have such a huge welfare state, right? Mm-hmm. Where literally, it, you know, depending on the individual, if they're willing to abuse the system, they could totally abuse the system yeah. and like live off of welfare, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not biblical because Paul says that if a man is not willing to work, let him not eat. Mm-hmm. And hunger is a great motivation to work, <laughs> right? right? But we rob people of that motivation towards good, godly work and earning honest living. Yes. It, by implementing our welfare state. And actually, that's nowhere in the Bible is the civil government given the ministry of welfare. That's actually mm-hmm. given to the family, mm-hmm. right? That, um, we're, and the church as well, right? That we're to care for those who are truly orphans and widows, mm-hmm. right? Like, so there is a legitimate um, a category of people who need welfare, yes. uh, but not like how our um, status-run <laughs> welfare is. Yeah. yeah, very wasteful too. Yes, yeah. Uh, it's uh, It's... Shocking sometimes to hear stories you hear of how wasteful these yeah. systems are because government is doesn't have incentive to be not wasteful. Yeah, and it's inept to do it. It's not been given the tools by God to do it. Right? It's mm-hmm. not his role, so it's not qualified to do it. Right? The one tool that God gives to the government is a sword, right. which is you know compulsion. Right? Yes, not a good way to run Coercion. a business. Yeah, it's not a good way to run a business. Not a good way to run welfare. <laughs> yes. you know, so uh, they've got one very narrow job by God that they should stick to. Um, but anyways, back to bringing it back to businesses and so on. Uh, in terms of building strong communities, we talked also about you know just the frustration sometimes as Christian business owners and even creatives. Uh, it's irony, but it's it's true and sadly true that like you sometimes groan at working with Christians or having <laughs> Christian clients because unfortunately the culture within Christendom and a lot of Christians is that if they know oh my brother Josh he has a business uh, doing whatever. They'll come to Josh and be like, hey, so can you give me a discount? You know, we go to the same church. Like, yeah. hey, you know? <laughs> and like are asking either like or we'll come up to somebody who's, let's say, a lawyer or whatever and trying to dig out free legal advice, basically. Yes, right. um, Want to comment a little bit on that? Yeah, I think that is a big problem. Yeah, for sure. There's this sense of always needing a deal. Mm-hmm. And I think a a big part of that is that Christians are should be generous. Yeah. And so we tend to be especially long-suffering about that in a way that 
that the world wouldn't be mm. if you were trying to just sort of fish for professional advice for free. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, which, that's an irony, right? You would never do that with like your no. Muslim business owner or like a Hindu lawyer or whatever. No, or a secular yeah. even. Like they just, you wouldn't do that. It's, yeah. it's not cool. So, so I think that we sometimes take advantage mm. of our own uh, scriptural principles. Yes. Uh, which isn't, it's a good thing that we have the principles. Right. Let's just think about being scriptural in all of the ways. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, also even to bring scripture into it. And I think framing it this way might be short, but I think it's actually quite biblical that when Christians come to a Christian business owner or a Christian creative or whoever, and they're trying to always look for a deal and underpay or whatever it is, just because that person is a brother and they think that they owed some sort of favor, scripture actually says that you're defrauding your brother, mm -hmm. right? That's one of Paul's actually imperatives to. Uh, I forget which letter he's writing the church to. He says, like, don't defraud one another. But we never think about that in terms of defrauding. Yeah. Like, when you're not paying what a brother's work, work is worth, not paying his actual price, you're defrauding him. Mm -hmm. And that's sin. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a message I've never heard preached that I would wish I would hear preached <laughs> um, from the pulpit because it needs to be preached. Yes. Um, that sort of culture is not good. It's toxic within um, Christendom. And it's also not going to lead to building strong communities because mm -hmm. businesses play a big part of communities because businesses are how communities get things done. Yes. How communities are supplied with the essentials of life and so on. Yes. So, I mean, if we want to see strong Christian communities, particularly, we need to be, um, if anything, if you know your brother has a business, like pay him more right. yes. <laughs> or, or at least pay him his full price. Right. Uh, and not presume that he's going to give you things for free and not presume that you should be entitled to a discount or whatever. Like, Go ask a discount to your Muslim like neighborhood, uh, you know, business or to the pagan down the street, right? Like, don't well. do that from uh, a brother, especially. I mean, in general, you shouldn't defraud anybody. So don't go like <laughs> being cheap, even with Muslims and, and pagans. This is right? not advice. Yeah, this is not saying like, you know, yeah, anyways. This is not advice to go defraud other people. <laughs> but don't do it within the church. Yes, especially uh, don't do it. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of the reason perhaps some of this happens mm -hmm. is we as Christians tend to have a bit of a mindset of a scarcity yes. that there's there's not enough to go around. Yeah. And so we have to just stretch every dollar as far as we can. Yeah. And I just, I really don't think that that's a Christian concept right. at all. I think that actually God is a generous God. He's given mm -hmm. us far more resources in the natural world than, yeah. uh, than we could possibly consume. Yeah. And uh, so God is generous and I think we should be generous as well. And mm -hmm. the more that we have that generous, it doesn't actually... Uh, doesn't mean that we have less. It means that everyone has more. Yeah, yeah. And so when you don't pay your Christian brothers and sisters enough for the services they provide, mm -hmm. you're, you're weakening their business. Yep. And now their business is weaker and isn't going to be able to support your business yeah. and isn't going to be able to support the church. And yeah. so I think everyone loses when we aren't willing to say, this is what the work is worth. Yeah. And let's just pay for it. Absolutely. Um, and I think that comes actually from how the culture and the ideologies within the culture seeped into the church too, right? That idea of scarcity and that there's this limited pot uh, or pie, right? Mm -hmm. And it, you, just because this person got this slice of the pie, that means I get a smaller slice <laughs> of the pie, right? But that's actually not even how economies work. There's several, uh, you know, planes of economic thought, but um, I think the one that's biblical and right actually sees economies as, as able to grow and multiply, not as like this fixed pie that you can only get your slice out of yes. but actually that pie multiplies that as people are innovative and create new things new products new businesses and so on it actually increases and multiplies the wealth within the economy um, so we should really start to change the way that we think um, in terms of you know scarcity versus um, 
what's the word they use? Uh, abundance. Yeah, abundance. abundance. Yeah. yeah. And not in like the prosperity gospel sort of way no. either, right? This is just like basic economic sort of thing, yeah. right? That as um, more value is added to the market, then more wealth is generated. That's actually how true wealth is generated. Yes. Uh, and I think like the whole socialist and Marxist sort of idea, it goes in the opposite direction where it starts to demonize people who are rich, saying that, oh, because they're rich, that means that the, the other people have less. Mm. That's not actually true, <laughs> right? Because uh, if, let's say, somebody, uh, you know, we have technology and whatever, right, invents phone or whatever uh, and starts selling that, it doesn't now mean that everybody else is, is impoverished because of it. Actually, no. just the opposite. Yes. People are now have more wealth because now I have this device that can make me more productive, right? Yes. That can be put to use in other ways to produce work. Yes. Well, I think it's interesting that it's relative because yeah. the, the resources that even uh, not particularly wealthy people today in North America have mm. are, are, would be considered very wealthy in other parts of the world. Yeah. And then if you go back throughout history, yeah. would be considered fabulously wealthy yes the sort of resources you know the access to information we have the mm -hmm. the access to clean running water hot water yeah that's the sort of thing that only the very richest and maybe no one at all would yeah. have had in many previous cultures and so mm -hmm. so in order to try and assign some sort of like definitive level at yeah. which something is is wealthy or not wealthy yeah. is really very difficult yeah and yeah. so I think the same thing goes with when, when we're thinking about abundance and scarcity and that sort of thing. Mm. There is actually a lot of abundance right now in, in our cultures mm -hmm. because people have worked hard and have created you know, more value for everyone yeah. to the fact that, that most people now have far, far more than people had a few hundred years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's kind of tied to part of what we're created to do in terms of um, the creation mandate to take dominion to subdue the earth to make it flourish right mm -hmm. um, that was part of god's initial uh, command to adam and eve and it's not been rescinded it's actually been repeated yes. <laughs> throughout scripture right yes. um, and that's what we're to do as christians actually that's one of the reasons i think it's a, a good godly christian thing for christians to start or consider starting businesses too yes. um, obviously with the understanding not everybody can start a business mm -hmm. right um, but I think it is is a good impulse because you are then taking dominion of a certain sphere within the economy, within yes. the market and so on, and creating and making flourishing happen yes. by taking the raw materials of creation and turning it into something productive, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I think that's a very Christian impulse. Yes. Yeah. Well, and one of the things, and we're both you know business owners, entrepreneurs, and yeah. so that it's interesting to see how when you own something, you're mm -hmm. a lot, you're thinking a lot more in terms of uh, efficiency and you're thinking a lot more in terms of what services can we can provide and yeah. how can we network that sort of thing yeah. where if you are just working for someone else it's quite a lot easier to you know you go to work for nine you come home yeah. at five check in and, check out yeah and just and check in job. check out is not yeah. creation mandate of no. you know fill the earth and subdue it yeah and so there's a way i think in which actually being a business owner helps disciple you in yeah. in being more Christian and following more, right. not to say that people who don't <laughs> yeah, just gotta qualify that. <laughs> be careful, but it's but it yeah. is. I think it's a way that helps to push you towards mm. thinking about these things. Yeah. Now, if you if yeah. you're an employee, you work for someone else. Paul is very clear there that you mm. do everything as working towards the Lord. Yeah, and so I think it'd be helpful even as an employee to think entrepreneurially about mm. how, okay, how can I make my boss more money? Right, and I think that that's something that's not really thought about very often. Mm. You know maybe anyone, but certainly not Christian employees, mm. is that the way business works is if you, if you make your boss more money, he's going to be able to pay you more money for your services. Mm -hmm. And so rather than, than feeling like, oh, I'm not getting paid enough, it's like, yeah. okay, how can I 
how can I add more value mm. and and create more value for my employer and yeah. for the world yeah. and 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 just the way that God's created the world, the worker mm. deserves his wages, and yeah. so that comes back to you. Yeah, and that's that's that, not that a bad set thing. Apart Christian workers so much, right? Like, would. Yeah, everyone would want to hire Christians. Yeah, maybe we would be you know not as discriminated against. Yeah, well, and so that brings, us, that, play. <laughs> that brings us to another point is yeah. that I think that's one of the reasons why Christian business is going to be important mm. in yeah. uh, in moving forward is yes. because there is uh, increasing discrimination against people who Absolutely. are willing to stand for Christ. Yeah, and let's harp on that point a little bit because I think as the times get harder and harder um, and potential towards getting even worse than even where we're at right now, um, we need to build some sort of parallel economy, mm. right? Uh, especially if Christians, for the sake of Christ, are being ostracized from public life and society. Uh, you know, you have to think about, like, where am I going to shop for my groceries? Where am I going to go get my car fixed? Where am I going to, you know, fill in the blank? Yes. And uh, if it gets to a level in society where, um, you know, it becomes difficult just because of your faith commitments towards, you know, both getting employment and also getting services and goods. Yeah, it becomes very important to start thinking about how we build Christian businesses, but not just individual businesses, but individuals that network together yeah. and form a, a core backbone of the Christians, yes. you know, subculture, let's say, or parallel culture, I should rather say. Yeah. Yes. And, and ultimately, that again is yeah. a long term thing. Yeah. Where we, if, we're, if we're building strong communities that mm-hmm. have the ability to provide the services required yeah. to live, that gives us a lot more flexibility as believers to yeah. uh, influence the places that we live mm-hmm. and also create places that are influenced by Christ yeah. so that so that the culture of our Christian community shows what a Christian society should look like. Yeah. And I yeah. think that that's very attractive. Yeah. And what you said there actually reminded me of something that like you especially when our culture gets to the point, you know, of decline uh, kind of where we're heading. It's hard to mount any sort of offense or progress forward. Um, from a place of weakness. We need to build pockets of strength mm-hmm. that we can then move forward in. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a category um, such as strategic retreat. I'm not a retreatist by any <laughs> means, right? Um, but I do think like, that there, there may come, for some people, uh, a point where it actually makes more sense for them to say, okay, you know, where I'm perhaps in the city or whatever, it's too hard. Like I'm such a small drop in the bucket here that I could live my whole life going hard as I can at it, being faithful as I can at it, and not make a, much of a difference here. But if I moved out, let's say, to a smaller town, um, my impact might be felt a lot more. And not only that, like, you know, potentially there may be more like-minded people who, if they're willing to move to the same place, you develop like a, a center of strength, basically. That can then now, you know, you build strength and over a generation, you can launch out again from there. Um, and that's a hard thing to, to really um, discern when that point is and I think mm-hmm. it's different for different people yes. I'm not going to venture yet to, to kind of see what our marker is to see when you should flee when you should stay and fight well I do th- I do but, think that the yeah. you know, the early church fled from Jerusalem yeah. when they were persecuted and yeah. so I don't think that every time saying okay mm-hmm. like it's time to leave Yeah, that's not always uh, but we, we want to be careful that we don't leave too soon yes. I think there's a tendency to leave too soon and yeah. so every time Every time things start to go a little bit bad, we just abandon it. Yeah. And uh, also, fl- fleeing doesn't necessarily mean like a total like retreat from the whole country. Let's say, right? Like, yes. so okay, like for example, I know there's a lot of Canadians after you know COVID and all that. Like, they found it really appealing to move to America as the promised land, right? <laughs> or whatever, right? Uh, I don't think that's and uh, there's nothing inherently sinful in that. But 
uh, I don't think it's necessarily the solution either, right? That there's legitimate options even staying within Canada and you just move to a different part where mm -hmm. you think that, okay, I can build strong community here and build a place of strength by which, from which we can then now start to look at even mounting some sort of offense. Because if you're, if you're always um, in defensive mode where you're located, it's hard to even think strategically about like, okay, how, what can I do like progressively and, uh, um, and um, proactively to, to move the ball forward, so to speak. Right? And I think it's important yeah. to think here that there's, there are multiple different ways that the kingdom of God yeah. comes and so, or, or moves forward in the world. Yeah. And so there's, you know, for example, there's individual evangelism, which mm -hmm. obviously you can do in, you know, a yeah. very godless place. Right. And, but then there's also, you know, building a, a good open public Christian community, which you mm -hmm. can't do in a, in a place like, you know, North Korea, for example, right. you're not going to be able to build a public Christian community. Mm -hmm. And so in some ways, you know, depending on what the Lord leads us to mm -hmm. each in, you know, strategically yeah. for the gospel. Yeah. Bringing it back to the Christian businesses point, though, um, in terms of building Christian communities that are strong and um, create centers of strength by which we can, you know, start to affect culture and so on. I think like part of that as well, um, yes, businesses you know, Christians establishing businesses and then also those businesses networking together and becoming an integral part of the community. But to your point of like, even for the Christians who are not going to be business owners, who are going to be workers, that's super important too, because what's a business without any employees, yes. right? You need to actually have a pool from which you can hire from, yes. right? And you need to know that that pool of people who are hireable are actually worthwhile workers, yes. right? So super important as well. Like, I think even for Christians who aren't going to be business owners, you still play a very integral role in that, that like perhaps, okay, you might not be the business owner, but you're going to be perhaps a Christian business like employee within the businesses that mm -hmm. will help to build that business to be something, you know, um, better than it would be as just like a secular business. And I'm, I'm very much pro explicit Christian businesses. I don't know what you think about that, but mm -hmm. like, I know for myself thinking as like, I'm starting my business and wanting to build that, um, and, you know, maybe I'll change it in the future, but I, I, I want to take the risk of trying it and just being, you know, super explicit about like, this is the values of this business. Like we serve the Lord Christ um, and see kind of what happens with that. I think there is something um, powerful about businesses that are willing to do that, especially in light of our woke culture. So I think there's a test case going on right now, actually. Yeah. You know, you, you know what I'm talking about. Like you look at like all these woke corporations that are it's month of June right now when we're recording, and they're all changing to the rainbow flags right now, right? So um, you had Target most recently, uh, Coles and the Major League Baseball and all these kind of things where um, they started, you know, really hard pushing the or continuing to push the LGBTQ thing, and then found that the consumer market pushed back by boycotting them, <laughs> which to me, tells me that there's something happening within the culture that people are willing to to vote with their wallets mm -hmm. and to vote and to to to, to shop according to conviction. Mm -hmm. Actually, one um, platform that's on the rise now is Public Square, which allows people basically to shop at alternatives than the big box stores that are all pushing the woke agenda, and gives them alternatives basically that won't do that. And I think it was actually started by a Christian. I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure somebody connected to he who shall not be named strict <laughs> Doug Wilson's church. Uh, I think, I'm not sure, 100% sure, but yeah. yeah. Um, that sort of thing gets me excited because it kind of is like, hmm, maybe the culture is ripe for that. Maybe it's so fed up of like what's being shoved down its throat through world corporations that 
it might be refreshing for a business to be like, you know, we're we're gonna just be Christian, like super based traditional values, like mm-hmm. and you know, yeah. So I think unapologetic in that. I think that yeah. I I that makes me excited too. Yeah. The 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 idea of of businesses that are that decide that mm-hmm. that they are going to be just very publicly aligned and yeah. Um, I think it's also there's a whole lot of things that go on with that, yeah. and I don't think that that means that every single business that is run by a christian yeah. must be that no and so i think it's important that if, if your business is a christian like if you are a christian business owner yeah you want to make sure that that your faith influences every yes. aspect of your business there's no room for saying like okay well we commit fraud in our business but it's just our business <laughs> because yeah. right we're not publicly christian right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah you know that sort of thing well and not only that in terms of the explicit sins but also in terms of like the quality of the service and product that you provide, right? Correct. If you're, especially, I think, if you're going to be an explicitly Christian business, and even if you're not, if you're just a Christian with a business, um, you should excel t- uh, and, and strive to produce something so excellent mm-hmm. that even if people f- found out that you were Christian and they didn't like that, they're like, well, yeah, but they produce like really good stuff right. and I need yes. to have this. Yes. Like, you know, think about, okay, <laughs> I'm going to use an example. Max. Apple, right? Mm. Like everybody hates to love them, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? But and even for myself, being like a former, I'll never have a Mac guy. I'm not a Mac guy. <laughs> Converted you at last. Converted, uh, <laughs> reluctantly so. But because they produce an actually just excellent product. Yes. Right. And I look at that. I'm just like, you know, we can learn something. From that. I think Christians should be producing excellent quality. Yes, stuff, you know? and and that is worship in itself. Yeah, absolutely. That's worship, and potentially pragmatically helpful too, because then the world can't ignore you. Yes. <laughs> I mean, if you're like the annoying Christian guy, but then you have a subpar kind of mediocre business and product, then it's not helping. Anything. Yeah, nobody's gonna yes. pay any attention. But like, if you're producing excellence and yes. maybe even innovation, like you invent something new that the the world's like, whoa, mm-hmm. we want that thing. Oh, but you're, you're Christian, <laughs> right? And then they 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 like you know hit with that that conundrum of well, we can't really ignore him. <laughs> yes. What do we do here? <laughs> yes. And the thing here, I think, is there's there's yeah. different layers of this. Yeah. So there are there are some businesses that have decided they're going to like second line of text on the front page of their website is going to yeah. say something about Christ. Yeah. Right. And it's all over. And and so there's you have that kind of explicitly Christian. Mm-hmm. And then you have, you know, businesses that have decided that they're going to put this in their about section about their values and right. which is also pretty public and mm-hmm. explicit. And then there's there's also businesses that are not doing that. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a point at which I think you cross into becoming afraid of man. Right. There's a there's a whole range of like, okay, how yeah. How out there are we going to like put crosses on our chocolate bars that right. we sell? <laughs> there's like, okay, yeah, it's not yeah. like you're not a Christian if you don't do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's not the argument I'm making. Though. Yeah. And just, I know it's just not. for the clarity of the, uh, the, <laughs> the listeners. Right? Right. Uh, but then there's also, there's yeah. a point at which mm-hmm. you, I think you get so far, you know, there's that, there's that sometimes maligned quote that, mm. that you should preach the gospel always, but if necessary, use words, yeah. which just is not particularly scriptural at all. No. Uh, you, you preach the gospel with words. Yes. Uh, your actions should reflect Christ, but you need to use words to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think if you come out and you're like, well, I'm a Christian and I own a business and we make, you know, fantastic products. Mm. And I think that people are just going to get to know Jesus because we make fantastic products. There's, I think that that is uh, coward, 
cowardice yeah. disguised as or at least naivety. <laughs> yes. And yeah. so so it's something to think about though. Right. It's like, okay, where how are we how are we creating a business that honors Christ? Right. And what does that actually look like? Yeah. Um especially in you know our particular culture. Yeah. That's good. All right, so let's move on to the next section. We talked about um, building strong Christian families, Christian churches, Christian businesses, as all integral parts of building strong Christian communities that you can create a, a culture of strength by which you can potentially impact the larger culture, mm -hmm. right? But the last one that I wanted us to dwell a little bit on, and we already touched on it before, is Christian education and just the importance of that as well, right? I'm going to read a quote. Well, part of a quote from a book that we both read by Douglas Wilson called Gash Musayatid. Yeah. It's an easy read, thin book, actually yes. thin. Great book. Yes. Uh, it could be called a booklet, <laughs> but it has a hardcover. It so does. it is a, a I, I think a hardcover makes it a book. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, if you're looking to get your Goodreads numbers up, this is a good one to read. It's an easy read, a short read, mm -hmm. um, but has some really insightful um, things about communities, what we're mm -hmm. talking about right now. Um, so Doug is talking, uh, Doug. <laughs> My buddy Dougie, Dougie. <laughs> he's talking about in the context of like, you know, of education and how when, you know, a family gives their kids over unthinkingly to be indoctrinated really by uh, schools that are promoting godless ideologies, how sometimes they're kind of like, what happened? Like, little Johnny was such a good boy. Mm. Yeah. And then like, you know, because they're reaping kind of what they sowed. And he says, you know, we often act astonished. When we have no right whatsoever to be surprised in any way, we say wide-eyed with Aaron that all we did was put in a bunch of gold and out came this calf. And that has to rank as one of the lamest excuses in the Bible. And here we are still using it. And that that's sharp, mm. but profound too, right? That, um, you know, I think one of the reasons our societies and particularly Christian culture has gone down the way it has is this neglect of education and thinking intentionally about that and particularly giving a godly education, a Christian education to kids. Mm -hmm. um, Vodi has a, a famous saying, right, that if you hand your kids over to Caesar, don't be surprised if they come back as Romans, mm -hmm. right? Um, let's talk a little bit about that, about how Christian education is really foundational to building good, strong societies and cultures. Yeah, well, I think yeah. the, the beginning of the end for this came yeah. several hundred years ago when we let the government get into education. Mm -hmm. And there was people at the time who were, who were ringing alarm bells about this, yeah. saying that if we let the government be in education, you know, before you know it, they won't be teaching catechisms and they won't be doing prayers. And mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, and actually, I have a quote for that. So, um, Arl Dabney, he's writing in the 19th century, he said this, that Christians must prepare themselves then for the following results, talking about how we give this, the state the role of educating, right? Mm -hmm. He said that Christians should prepare themselves for the following results. All Bibles, prayers, and catechisms will be ultimately driven out of the school. Now, he writes that back when the education system was overtly Protestant, mm -hmm. which is crazy inside, right? Like, yes. I mean, you had literally Christian schools run by the government. Yes. And Dabney was already saying that, like, y'all listen up. If, if this happens, yeah. Bibles, prayers, catechism are going to be out of school. Exactly that has happened. Yes. Yeah. And so, so almost by definition, I would say, yeah. we probably need to give up the crusade to try and save the schools. Mm. Uh, by definition, government schools are not going to teach a Christian worldview. Mm -hmm. uh, they might teach some sort of, you know, mythically neutral worldview that will end up not being neutral in the end. Mm. And what we've been seeing progressively is that they teach something that is overtly anti-Christian now. Yeah. Uh, but it seems that uh, we, it hasn't quite caught up with us, mm. but that's what's happening. 
but we see it in what's happening to the children in the church yeah. who uh, just there's all sorts of problems coming from mental health issues to mm. uh, to you know worldview issues to morality issues yeah. and and so I think that's something that we need to urgently rethink yeah and uh, there's a bunch of different ways that we can do that. So yeah. there's options, but it's something that needs to be figured out right. uh, pronto. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think like, you know, that's important to, to, to make clear too, that there are multiple options of how Christians may legitimately do this, right? Mm -hmm. Like in terms of homeschooling, in terms of private Christian schooling, even in terms of co-ops and mm -hmm. form, like hiring a teacher amongst like 10 families or whatever, right? Which I'm hearing a lot of recently. Yeah, yeah. Like those are legitimate ways that you can do that. And I think primarily the dads, like the fathers need to take primary responsibility for this and realize that that's what scripture gives them. Ephesians 6 says the fathers train your kids up in the discipline and the education of the Lord, right? Um, and that's very, very important. I'm actually going to do an episode either before or after this one releases on exactly that verse and what it means. Uh, but at minimum, it means that the fathers must give to their kids or ensure that their kids have a Christian education. Mm -hmm. Like God's not giving fathers the task to like just give them any old education and definitely not a pagan one, right? Um, so I think that needs to fall on the fathers as seeing as, okay, this is my primary responsibility in terms of a dad. Uh, I need to be sure that my kid is getting a Christian education because now, so, there's no such thing as a neutral education. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're, I think you're about to touch on it. I was going to yeah. say someone might say, well, but like how can, how can math be Christian or not yeah. Christian? And so what if I send my kids to public school to learn you know, math and English and yeah. then I teach them the, the gospel at home? Right. You know, what would you say to that? Yeah, I think that person has a disjointed uh, Christian worldview, right? They think that the gospel only has to do with the spiritual realm. Um, but the gospel is good news for all of creation and all mm. of life too, mm. right? The gospel is far more en uh, encompassing than we sometimes think. We think, sometimes think it's only justification, which is an important part of it that you never lose. And we think that it only means in terms of getting to heaven spiritually, right? Um, but it's not just about that. Um, God is interested in the redemption of all things. Christ mm. has come to redeem all of creation, right? Um, even the creation itself is groaning for that, that yes. redemption, right? Uh, that's what Romans 8 says. Um, so we need to expand our, our horizons in terms of how we think about the gospel and gospel ministry. Um, we also need to expand how we think about every aspect of life being related back to your worldview. Like the, the person who says that, well, math is neutral, like numbers are neutral. They're probably not aware that right now there's literally people and teachers in actually in Ontario. I saw a, a news article the other day that are saying that, that math, traditional math is racist. Where is that coming from? Right. It's coming from a worldview, right? Yeah. And it's not a Christian one. Mm. Um, so there are worldview issues that have practical implications, even to subjects such as math, right? Because the reason math works is because God exists. Ultimately, it comes down to that. Mm -hmm. God has created an orderly um, system within this universe. And he's a God of order, not of chaos. And this is why science works. This is why we can expect uniformity in nature and predictability within math even. Um, there's, that's the ultimate standard by which all of those things derive from. You don't get that from a chaotic universe um, that has no designer behind it, mm. right? Those things only come from the God of, um, the true God of the Bible, right? Uh, and I think like we've, we've tended to, to separate our thought as Christians in these two, in this dualistic fa fashion of the spiritual and then there's everything else, right? The secular. Um, which is not a biblical way of thinking about reality. No. Like all of life in a sense is spiritual. Actually, it's interesting. Romans 12, Paul says um, to offer your bodies 
what as a as a living sacrifice as what your spiritual mm. act of worship yeah. he's saying that your physical body being offered to god is a part of spiritual worship so mm. clearly spiritual spirituality in biblical conception doesn't just have to do with the ethereal non-physical realm it has implications on the material realm as well too and on all areas of life so i'd say something akin to that probably yeah. and so <laughs> yeah. we can have christian phys ed classes in yeah. schools as well absolutely and 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 honor christ through yeah through you know developing yeah well all, I, I mean a good way to illustrate this is like just take the issue of science right that's often touted as like a neutral way to to meet people on right like well we should just let science decide these issues how's that gone following the science in the past couple <laughs> of years right um science we've seen can be manipulated in various ways and that has to do with the worldview that's behind it mm. also even just back down to the bare bones you know um let's say hard sciences of like physics chemistry etc right um still impacted by worldview so take for example somebody who has a darwinistic evolutionary view of reality how are they going to 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 operate as a biologist for example or even as a chemist right that's going to impact the way that they even do their science that, that impacts our medical field right now in terms of how um doctors are trained in terms of how research is done and so on if it's with this presupposition of darwinistic evolution um, then the presupposition behind that is this world is not designed. That's why we need to synthesize everything. Mm. Like we shouldn't expect that nature would have all that we need to flourish because it's not designed by a loving creator. But a Christian shouldn't think that way. A Christian should think, well, no, a loving God created with wisdom this world and then created it especially six days before, mm. you know, he put us in it. Right. So he created it in an environment in which we could flourish, where we would be able to find the things that we need in order to live healthily and, and to flourish and so on. So I think that should also impact how you think as a Christian, even about things like biology and medicine and those, those sort of things. That's the presupposition that should come into it. Uh, but if you have a naturalistic you know, presupposition, you think that, well, we shouldn't expect that because reality is not designed. Right? Mm -hmm. I, think, I think that there might be a lot of people who are saying, okay, I see the value of yeah. Christian education and I see how it's important to, to teach our kids from a Christian worldview. Yeah. Uh, a lot of what I hear is people saying, yeah, but it's too expensive. Yeah. And so I think that that's facts. Thinking strategically and thinking long term, yeah. that's something we're going to have to figure out how, yeah. what do we do about that? And, yeah. and one of the big uh, opportunities I think there is for churches to yes. either subsidize mm -hmm. or I think preferred for the churches themselves to start, uh, to start their own schools. Yeah. I mean, I mean, either option works well. Right. But you want to make sure that you have a school that is not just Christian in name. Mm -hmm. That's like a public school that yeah. they've just slapped a few Bible verses on. Yeah. You actually want to make sure that you're thinking distinctively Christian way about your education. Yeah. yeah. And that probably means doing some things radically different than we've been used to. Yep. Education. And there's a lot of things about education that we do. Mm. Uh, I don't think we really think about. Mm -hmm. It's just that this is the way it's done. It's like, well, we, we pack 30 kids in a room and we give them one teacher and get them to teach them stuff. Yep. And it's like, okay, well, is that the best way of doing it? Yeah. And or, I'm we, not... or we train them to take exams. Yeah. yeah. Like what's, what, uh, the exams drive me crazy. Because <laughs> exams, <laughs> exams don't teach you how to actually apply knowledge in the real world. No, I right? think there's a, there's a place for it. Um, it's usually in the grammar phase of like education where you're just trying to memorize brute facts mm -hmm. and get the core um, building blocks to then build an actual education. Yes. So I think that's fine, like vocabulary tests and those sorts of things are ways to build that because you need that as a building block first to begin with. But later on, as you're moving to you know more advanced curriculum and so on, where you should be developing your skills of logic, let's say, mm -hmm. um, 
standardized testing is a little bit has to either look differently or should be just jettisoned altogether mm-hmm. for, in favor of more practical um, ways of assessing performance and so on, uh, such as project-based learning and um, yes. you know uh, apprenticeships and so on. Yes, yeah. and it's important, I think, to remember that the reason for mm-hmm. assessing is to figure out whether you're serving the students well and yes. whether you should change something so that they learn better. Mm-hmm. It's not, we've gotten to this point where the, like grades are currency almost. Yeah. And, and yeah. A, in v- very real ways, your grades will make you money. Yes. And so yeah. I think that we've got to this point where people are pursuing grades for the grade's sake and mm-hmm. the grades should be a tool yeah. towards learning stuff that is useful for life or yeah. is useful for, for the, I mean, theology is useful for life. Right. But, uh, learning stuff that is useful and helps us to understand the world better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not like, oh, I got a, I got a, you know, a few red checks and a few green checks. And yeah, yeah. We add them all up. Right. Yeah. We could keep going on about like, you know, models of education, but I think that would derail us a little bit. Let's, yes. let's come back to how it fits into this idea of building strong communities, right? Um, I think part of it is education really is the foundation for strong communities. So think about how was one of the primary ways that our culture shifted and became where it's at right now in terms of the craziness and even where the craziness currently is. Like drag queen story hours are happening in schools for a reason, right? Um, It's because those are the centers that then build the next generation of what the culture will look like, right? So if we want to retake the culture, if we want to see any change happen, or if you even just want to create strong Christian cultures and communities, like we have to be focused on education. I think it's one of the great oversights of a lot of churches um, today is that they haven't really placed a lot of emphasis or thought in terms of, okay, if we want to, even if we want our church to flourish in the next generation, we have mm. to start thinking this way. Because yes. even if we keep the current generation in the church and they're sending their kids to public school who are being indoctrinated in secular ideologies, we'll lose them. Yes. <laughs> like, because there's no way you can, the math works out. They're going to school for, you know, more than 40 hours or whatever a week. And then they get two hours of church on Sunday, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like, just doesn't work out. Like, the indoctrination is is strong. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. And it's, so thinking for the next generation is important. And also, uh, yeah, and so uh, developing uh, Christian cultures, the education is very important. And I think one of the things we need to, we need to realize there is to, is to stop being, in a sense, embarrassed about mm-hmm. our Christian values. And, yep. and feeling like, oh, we wouldn't possibly want to, you know, impose these on anyone. Yeah. And we certainly, you can't, you can't impose values on someone and expect them to accept them. Mm-hmm. But uh, if we... If no, we except of, that's what the public school does all the time. It is. That, that's what, like, our culture is doing, is imposing its values on us. Like, I think it's unavoidable, the, so to speak, imposition of, of values. Um, indoctrination happens regardless. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just a matter of what you're being indoctrinated with. Uh, because there is no neutrality, what we mm. talked about earlier, right? Yes. Um, so I think you're right. Like we shouldn't be ashamed that we're like, yeah, we're we're wanting our kids to be Christians. <laughs> like we're yes. wanting to imp- impose and like to indoctrinate them in Christ. Yes. And uh, what we're saying, yeah. what we should believe, if yeah. we're if we're consistent biblical Christians, yeah. is is that well, Christ is the best thing, mm. and Christ's way of life is the best way of life, and so. Uh, what we're actually trying to do is we're we're seeking the best for people, and yeah. I think sometimes we, well, you can say that sort of intellectually, yeah. and then when the rubber really meets the road, we start to feel a little bit embarrassed that we're that we're actually kind of taking actions based on that. Mm. And so I yeah. I think in our education though we should be we should be distinctly trying to raise kids to be Christians, mm-hmm. and rather than 
the the attitude that's sometimes taken as well we just we kind of present them with a buffet of options and then right. we, we hope that they choose the one we yeah. hope and pray yeah. that they choose the one that we really think they and should. that's another way that like i think a lot of churches shy away from talking clearly too right they in a sense some pastors try to take a neutral approach mm. to the topic of education mm. and presenting in such a way that like if it's equal choices and you whichever one you choose it doesn't matter right yes. like you can send your kids to public school and be taught by a drag queen or you could send them to you know this christian private school you can homeschool it's all up to you right. like no <laughs> like some of those are bad choices yes. right uh and i think we should stop with that facade of like you know that it's it's all a buffet it's all the same thing and you can like you know do whatever you want mm-hmm. especially you want to be faithful to that scripture that you know multiple scriptures that tell us that we need we owe our kids a christian education yeah. and that we will be held particularly as fathers accountable to that um, that's a charge that needs to be come from the front, from pastors, particularly because they model that. Like you look at the qualifications for an elder, it's all in the home and how he leads his family. And also one of the qualifications is what his, ch- his children are believing. Mm-hmm. There's some ways of translating it. Now, you can translate different ways, but you can also translate faithful. Either way, though, it implies that he's given his kids a Christian education at the very least. Yes. Right? So I think like it has to start from the front um, within church communities and so on in Christian communities. Um, being committed to to both preaching and educating the, the, the people on that, but also putting their money where their mouth is, so to speak. Because if you're going to tell, similarly, like, you know, telling your, your community, hey, stand for truth and we got your back. Mm. Similarly, if you're going to tell them, you need to give your kids a Christian education, you have to know that there's going to be some people who financially, they can't make that work. Yes. Right? And that would be such a powerful thing for church communities to do, to say, well, we're so committed to this. We want you to be able to give your kids a Christian education, whether it's homeschool, you know, co-ops or uh, classical Christian education, whatever. And if you can't, like, come talk to us. We'll right. figure out something. We'll, yes. We've got like a fund that we've put away to do this. We've got ways to subsidize. We've, or we've, we've started a co-op where mm-hmm. we're hiring a teacher to come in and teach, you know, families in the church. And here's how you can you know, be involved. Yes. Um, I think that yeah. I think churches should think about the resources that they have. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot of churches. I mean, some churches are mobile churches. They don't have a building. Yeah. But there's a lot of churches that have a building with uh, numerous rooms and classrooms that mm-hmm. are almost completely empty every weekday. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, space is pretty valuable, mm-hmm. especially, you know, in Ontario, Canada. Stuff yeah. is wild expensive. Yes. And so uh, a big part of the cost of running an education would be the space to run it in. The mm-hmm. church already has the space. Yeah. So it's like, okay, there's a there's a big cost down. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, there's a lot of churches will spend a lot of money on a whole bunch of other various budget items. Yeah. And and you could think, what difference could we make with that same money mm-hmm. if we put it into yeah. What's hiring? the ROI? <laughs> yeah, return. And I think we should think about things yeah. that way a bit more yeah. than we do. We should Absolutely. think of like, okay, how many, I don't know, how many lives can we change with this dollar? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And... And if we thought about that, we might spend our money a little bit differently. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But but think about the return of investment for mm-hmm. using the classrooms you already have in your church mm-hmm. and hiring a teacher yeah. to teach, you know, 10, 20, 30 students. Yeah. Uh, and and then you can, you know, even, even if the parents have some contribution mm-hmm. to it, it's still you've lowered the barrier for entry so much. Yeah that now now Christian education is a real possibility for people who mm. financially it just was not previously. Yeah, yeah. And this was something I brought up in the talk uh, I gave recently that, you know, this is in our DNA. Mm. You look at all the Ivy League schools in North America, they all started as Christian institutions like Princeton, Yale, all of them, right? Like they all started from Christian 
Protestants, actually. Yeah. Right? So very Protestant um, impulse to do that. Yeah. And part of the reasoning behind that historically was that Protestants understood that, well, people need to understand the Bible. You need to be able to read the Bible. Mm-hmm. And in order to read and properly understand and interpret the Bible, you need to be educated. Yeah. It's not just basic literacy because the Bible is a complex book as well. So you need to be able to understand logic, reasoning, grammar, history, all these different things. So that was why there was such a huge impetus towards education. And I think we need to regain that that heritage, right, as Christians, yes. that like we should be leading the way in education instead of handing it off to the state. Um, that Christians and churches, obviously, every church is different and has different capabilities. So I'm not advocating that every single church needs to start a school. Yeah. But for, I think there are some churches that that's within their possibility that yes. they could and should seriously consider. And for the ones who can't, like, need to consider other ways, more creative ways of doing that. Like we said, via co-ops or even just encouraging and giving good resources. Sometimes all, that's all parents need. Um, if you tell, like, I, I've spoken to different Christian brothers too. Like, yeah, we'd like to homeschool. Um, we don't like what's going on in the public school, but we don't even know where to start. We don't know resources. We don't know how to choose curriculum. Well, that's a way that the church can come in and help too. Whereas yes. like, here's a curated list, yes. right? Here's good curriculum. Yes. Have at it. Like, yeah. just buy it and go for it. You know? yes. And we'll be here as a support group, maybe even have some training seminars, right? And that's pretty cheap in terms of like budget that you need to allocate towards that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And there's other, mm-hmm. all sorts of other options. You have you have a uh, co-op and your pastor comes mm-hmm. once a week to teach a theology class yeah. to these, you know, 10, 15 students. Yeah. That, you know, the pastor is already salaried. The pastor mm-hmm. is has already probably been doing sermon prep on these things and mm-hmm. reading the commentaries and the theology and right. knows the stuff. It's yeah. not going to be that much extra yeah. in terms of time and effort to yeah. encourage and I think a lot of that is just mm. saying, hey, we think this is a good idea yeah. and we're here for you yeah. and we want to help. Uh, and I think a lot of the times where some of the time where, where people falter in Christian education, especially in things like homeschooling, mm. is it starts to feel lonely mm-hmm. and it starts to feel like no one yep. no one understands and no one's really here for us. And so if we can yeah. encourage people that, no, this is valuable work. Yeah. yeah. And even for the homeschoolers, it's important to have that cooperation because it's imp- almost impossible you're going to have, let's say, a, a stay-at-home mom who's homeschooling be excellent at all these different subjects. Yes. Just probably not going to happen. Yes. You might have, like, the one, like, special gem who would right. be, right? But uh, being able to cooperate within a community that's committed to this would help to fill in those gaps, right? Because maybe one family is really good at math or whatever, what another one's good at the arts or whatever, and, like, you can have cooperation within even homeschooling networks and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yes, lo- there's so many opportunities, <laughs> yeah. and I I'm excited for for the potential mm. for all of this. And I see mm. a lot more people getting realizing the necessity yeah. of of not just doing things the way that we've always done them, mm. but starting to think, okay, maybe things are different now, mm-hmm. and maybe we need to really take some of this seriously. Yeah. And so I'm I'm optimistic about that. Yeah. Same. And but but optimism is not enough. You actually have to you know put some yeah. boots on the ground and yeah, do it and do it. <laughs> yeah. And so. So Nike, they got it right. <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> Just do it. Yeah. And that's, uh, I think another, like, um, maybe we should end here. Uh, another thing about it too is like, I feel like sometimes we're too worried about having every nitty gritty detail figured out before we jump in and do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I get that there's wisdom towards, you know, planning, wise execution, like scripture talks to that as well too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, it's a fool who, who goes out to war without first counting whether he can actually win the battle, yes. right? Um, so yes, plan for sure. But don't get so stuck in it that you don't actually just start doing because some of this you don't learn until you start doing, mm-hmm. right? That some of it is going to take some trial and error. And I think that's okay. 
like let's say if a church has got this vision they're like okay we want to start a a christian school maybe they just start with a grade school or whatever um be okay and tell the parents to like listen we're new to this Mm -hmm. (laughs) like we're figuring out your your kids are like the first batch and they're going to be guinea pigs and you know what some a lot of parents would probably be okay with that they'd much rather you experiment on the kids (laughs) than the state right (laughs) right? yes um and also something just tack on to that too is like within this conversation of christian education is not just thinking of it as like slapping a christian veneer over these different subjects or just bringing in the pastor to teach theology it's actually teaching these subjects from a Christian worldview, right? And how does thinking Christianly about math, about biology, about, you know, physics, about business, about all these different things, how is that, how is that done in a specifically Christian way, right? Um, that's really important because otherwise there's plenty of Christian schools that actually end up giving a secular education with some devotionals. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. You don't want that. No. Um, what, you, what a waste yeah. of effort. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. I think that's a, a good place to end it. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this little conversation being a fly on the wall with Josh and I. I'm sure we'll be doing lots more uh, episodes together. Yes. I actually just want to give Josh an a, a opportunity to plug his new business here. Uh, why don't you tell the folks here, um, speaking about Christian businesses. Christian businesses. <laughs> tell us, what do you do and how are you building and reforming the community here? <laughs> just kidding. Right. Uh, but yeah. So yeah, so AlgonquinDigital.com, uh, we do... A, a bunch of different things related to digital media. So uh, video production, audio production, uh, and then also you know professional AV installation for, for churches and organizations, uh, acoustics, all that sort of related area of things and trying to uh, love especially to serve Christian organizations and Christian businesses to make their media as impactful as it can be. Mm-hmm. Love to do that. Yeah, awesome, great. Um, kind of related to my business as well too. So we're a great partnership here. There you go. You can hire both of us. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right, cool. Great. Well, hope you guys enjoyed it. Until next time, Soli Deo Gloria. Thanks for listening to the Theotivity Podcast. If you found this content helpful or edifying, please leave a review on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, follow us on social media and consider sharing this episode to help Theotivity reach others as well. Check out Theotivity.com for resources, info on how to support, and subscribe to our monthly newsletter to stay up to date on all the latest content. Until next time, live and create to the glory of God.